you guys are here this morning. It's a, it's a blessing, and I'm, and I'm also thankful for the opportunity to share his word with you. So do you have your Bibles with you this morning? Got them? Whether that's in paper or on, on a uh, tablet some, some way. Uh, also, I'd encourage you to take some notes. If you didn't bring your own notebook along, we've got a, some paper in front of you there. Grab that. There's pens in those little pockets, or there, well, there used to be, so hopefully you can find one there. But I encourage you to take some notes and to think about not just what's said today, but what do you hear him saying to you today? And to jot those things down, you'll remember more. You, I, I don't think you came here just because you wanted to waste 30 minutes of your time just sitting, you know, just, just so that, oh, I was there. I think that deep down there's a desire and a longing in us that desires to know God personally, that there's a desire in us to, to uh, have that real genuine connection with him that changes our life. So this moment, this, uh, this time, don't, don't miss that. Take full advantage of that, and one of the ways would be to jot down some notes. So we're going to turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, if you're new to the Bible, just start going to the right until you hit some red letters. You're close. Then there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They all contain the red letters. Mark is the second book. It's probably the best one. Just saying. Uh, But we're going to look at, uh, in Mark chapter 8, it starts with a a very famous, um, well, maybe not quite as famous. There's a famous story, if you were in kids' church, where Jesus feeds 5,000 people. He takes one kid's little lunch and he feeds 5,000 people. Then there's a not quite as famous story where Jesus feeds only 4,000 people. So that, uh, that's a story that happens as, um, uh, as Mark begins this portion in Mark 8. And uh, Jesus feeds these 4,000 people. He hops in a boat and he sails to the other side of the lake. And when he gets there, this is what happens. And if you've been reading through the New Testament with us, you would have read this, uh, this passage earlier this week. And for those who are reading through the whole Bible, we salute you. We, we know that you're not with us in the New Testament, but we're grateful that you're reading through the whole Bible. So Mark chapter 8, verse 11, I had to give that shout out. Here we go. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had arrived. And the Pharisees are a religious group of people. Their whole deal was, we're just going to be as good as we can be. When those people uh, heard that Jesus had arrived, they came and they started to argue with him. They started testing him and they demanded that he show them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. And then when he heard this, it says, he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why do these people keep demanding a miraculous sign? And I tell you the truth, I'm not going to give this generation any such sign. So he got back in the boat, he left them, and he crossed to the other side of the lake. He went back to where the other group was. Verse 14, but the disciples had forgotten to bring any food along. And they had only one loaf of bread with them for 12 hungry men. And it says, as they were crossing the lake, Jesus warned them, watch out, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And as I was reading this this week, this, that, that line jumped out at me. Beware of the, the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. And it was that, that, that was that term, Herod, that I was like, man, I've just never seen that before. And I began to dig a little bit deeper into that. But as you began to picture, maybe you can join me in that, picture what this looked like. Here Jesus crosses the lake. He's just had, the, had this amazing event happen, crosses the lake. And there he gets met with these guys who just, they just, it's resistance immediately. They're testing him. They're trying him. He's like, okay, forget it. Let's get back in the boat. We're going, we're going back to the other side where the people like us, right? So he gets back in the boat and then the disciples are like, oh man, we didn't bring lunch. We didn't bring enough. And, and then Jesus is still sitting in the boat and he's like, man, I think like, you know, Plato or whoever, Socrates, and he's just pondering. He's like thinking about what had just happened. The disciples, they moved on already. They're like, they're into the next thing. Jesus is still thinking about what just happened on that shore. And, and then he, he says to the fellas, kind of just snaps out of it as they're like, you know, arguing about breaks. He's like, hey, fellas, you know what? 
uh, beware the yeast of the Pharisees. And they all of a sudden start looking at each other. And, and Mark goes on to explain what happens. They think that Jesus is upset that they didn't bring any lunch. He's like, Peter, it was your job. You know, John, I was you. And they start arguing. And he, and he says, okay, hold on. Slow down, fellas. Let, let's, let's just take this one step back. They're thinking, oh, we forgot bread. He's like, oh, man, they're still so slow. How can I get them to understand this? And he t- explains to them. He says, hey, remember what happened when we had 5,000 hungry people? And they're like, uh, yeah, we fed them with a couple of loaves of bread. And he's right. And he says, and what just happened with 4,000 people? And he's like, well, we just fed all of them with a couple of loaves of bread. And so he's like, so do you think I'm talking about bread? And they're like, no. What are you talking about? Well, what's he talking about? What's he explaining to them? What those stories is a little can affect a lot. A little can affect a lot. A little bit of bread affected a whole lot of people. And he also mentions this statement, a little bit of yeast of the Pharisees can affect a lot. Watch out for that, he says to them. And uh, as I thought about that, I began to read back a little bit and see, you know, what, what was it that Jesus was uh, thinking when he said and warning them, look, look out for that little bit of yeast, that little bit of false teaching. And Paul would later say to the Galatians in the same way that false teaching is like that little bit of yeast that affects the, the whole lump. It affects a lot. You know, when Jesus was talking with these Pharisees, he just arrives, and what's their first thing? They're like, we want you to prove yourself. We want you to prove who you are. You know, we don't, we, we don't just believe, we want you to do something for us. You know, do this miraculous sign. Well, if they had just been on the other side of the lake, they would have seen. If they had followed him around, which they have, they would have seen that there was lots of signs that he did on his own terms and on his own time. But they're like, no, we want you to do one for us right now. And it says they kept demanding a miraculous sign. And what was it? It was this resistance to who Jesus was. That, I believe, is what the, the yeast of the Pharisees is. It's this resistance to Jesus. When all of a sudden it's like the Lord shows up, it's like, I don't, I, don't, I don't know if I want that. No, actually, I, I, want, I want proof. God, I want you to do something. And I, and I don't think it's just back then. I think that that attitude can permeate uh, all cultures and all groups of people, even, even us, where there's this thought of, oh, I, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm not all in. I want to see a little bit. A little bit more. You know, even these religious leaders at the cross, it says when they got to the cross, like they promised him there, Jesus, if you do a miraculous sign, we'll believe in you. And he, he doesn't do it for them. But even at the cross, as they're surrounding the cross where, where he's hanging, they're like still there saying, hey, Jesus, if you'll just come down off the cross, well, then we'll believe you and we'll follow you. I thought, like, Jesus, why didn't you just do that for them? Here you got this big gathering of people. There's probably others who are spectating and they're watching. Like, Jesus, if you would just do this, we'd all follow you. Isn't that what you wanted? And he says, no. No, no, I don't want want to be the, the genie in a bottle who does what you want. Because what you think you want as God of your own life is not what you actually need. What you need is me, and, and I'm drawing you to me. I'm actually not going to just perform for you. I'm actually drawing you to seek me out. And we see that throughout Scripture, that he's drawing all men to himself, almost like a moth to the flame. As I thought about that analogy, it's like in the summer, you see them. They're, just, they're, they're swarming around uh, uh, the flame. There's something about it that draws their attention. And they leave the darkness, and they come kind of closer to the light. You know, in Acts 17, Paul explains to these guys on a place called Mars Hill that he said, God designed all these nations that they, that they might feel for him, that they might be like seeking, reaching out for him. He's drawing on them, but that they would reach for him. 
He says it's almost like they're, they're, they're blindfolded, but that was his hope. That was his point. Matthew 6, you know the famous Sermon on the Mount? Jesus mentions it multiple times. He says to, the, to them, don't worry about stuff, but seek first the kingdom of God. Like, look for it. Seek for it. He said in Matthew 7, just a chapter later, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep knocking, don't give up, keep on seeking his kingdom. And we, we, we saw that um, last week, and we're talking about come out of the crowd, don't be just one of the crowd, be the individual who's like, no, no, I'm on a mission to find. It's like God is, is drawing and desiring us at all stages of life to find him, to seek him. It wasn't just that he would do stuff for us, but that we would seek and know him. And the Pharisees had this resistance to that. And, and I would say, too, that today, I think the, the, the lesson is that we would seek him to actually find him. That we would seek him like we're trying to find him. And I would ask you that. How's your pursuit of the Lord? Is it like, yeah, like I, I, I'm actually seeking him like I want to find him? Or is it more like hide and seek with little kids? You know, I remember when I was a kid, or actually not a kid, I was a parent, had a child, and we used to um, play hide and seek with our kids, and you know, you go like, okay, I'm going to come find you, and then they, and they go in the room, and they hide like this, and you're, you, what does a good, what does a parent do? Walk in, they're like, are you under the bed? No. Are you under the chair? No. Are you hiding? No. And then you get, like, you look everywhere but where the child is, Right. And then you walk out of the room, you're like, oh, I guess I, I couldn't find them. And then they run out, I'm like, I'm here. You know, I think sometimes we do that with our pursuit of God. It's like we, we're actually not looking for him. We're kind of like in this spot where we, we're like, oh, no, I want him to do it my way. I, I'm, I'm kind of waiting for proof of his existence. Or, you know, if God, if you'll answer this prayer, well, then I'll believe. Then I'll seek. Then, I'll, then I will. And it's almost kind of like a thief who's like looking for a policeman. Like they just never are. And we have that same spot where we can say, oh, yeah, I'm in church and all that stuff. But are we really seeking to know him? This week I had the chance to, do, to, do, for the first time, uh, go and do an escape room. And, uh, man, I was like, that is a whole different type of seeking. You get in there, there's a time frame. Like, if you don't do it in this time, you're not getting out. Well, I mean, they let you out. But you're not, you're not accomplishing anything. And I feel like it's almost like this. Here's your, like, 30-minute escape room. Are you going to find him a- in this moment? And, uh, you know, in the escape room, they've got all these different clues. I mean, you go in, and I didn't go into this exact one, but similar. If you've been, you, you walk in, and you see, like, all kinds of gadgets and gizmos and locks and clues and codes. And you sc- I, I remember walking in, I was looking around, like, we are not getting even out of this room. And they're like, there's three rooms to this thing. We're like, we're, we're done. Like, there's, there, this is just confusion. I don't get any of it. I don't get it. But then as you begin to inspect and collaborate and ponder that one puzzle, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I, I get this one. And all of a sudden you punch in the buttons and something opens up over there. Like, whoa, you go over there and you, you punch in some things and something opens up over here. You're like, oh, I didn't, th- there's cords here. Oh, of course we needed those to solve this next thing. And you know what else is very much like that? Reading this. As you begin to dig through, and it's like, at first you're like, oh man, it's so confusing. I, I don't get any of this. But as you begin to read and ponder and study and allow him to illuminate it, it's like, oh, I see that. Yeah, that connects to this. And you realize that God is actually revealing himself, and we just need to be seeking. We need to be in that mode, mode of, I want to find. And some are here today like, uh, yeah, about that Bible thing. Like, I'm not, I'm like, I'm here, but I'm not really with you guys. Like, I'm not a Jesus follower. I'm not a Christian. I'm not religious. Like, so, so what if your imaginary God wrote a book? <laughs> Who cares? 
I like to back up one step. Because even if you as Jesus followers, you'd like, you're like, yeah, I believe. I believe this. I believe in the, in the word. I believe in the Lord. You may have friends who are like, yeah, yeah, they don't give any time to that. But God's revealing himself much before this. And so I want to leave you with these four thoughts this morning, things to ponder. Number one, God reveals himself through nature. He is actively revealing himself if we will be seeking, if we'll be looking. We'll see him. And we'll see him in nature in the big way. We have that, yeah. Like, I thought about this, and as I looked at this, I could have gone through Google and just chosen, like, 100 photos or or more. I'm like, you look at this, you're like, man, there's this, how did this just happen? And, And why isn't it just a big chaotic mess? Why isn't like the yellow flowers just like a yellow blob on the bottom and maybe like a, a blue and like, why is this not like a Picasso? Why does it look so designed? Because it was designed. And it's in the big megascape as we look, we're like, oh, there's, there's purpose to this. This isn't just like random accidents. There's, there, there, there appears to be design. You look at something small like a leaf. You look at that, you're like, man, it's not just in the big things. It's when you zero in, you're like, there's a lot going on, even in these little things. Why? Why, why? why wasn't a leaf just like just a streak of green? Why does it have all those little veins? Why does it have 50 shades of green? Like Derek, let me know that there is such a thing. Right? There's, why? Why, why does it have all the lines? What, why? Because there's design. See, a lot of times we aren't looking close enough at nature to realize that there's design. And as I thought about this, I found that in Romans chapter 1, so if you, if you have your... Bibles, just go to the right, go a little ways, Romans chapter 1, Paul writes about this, and the way he starts at Romans 1.18, he says, as God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, and you're like, well, that's not cool, that doesn't sound like real nice, why is God angry? <laughs> Here's why he's angry, he says, his anger is against heaven, against sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth. Like, it's right there, but they choose not to see it. It's like the kids hiding behind the curtain, but they're walking in the room like, I don't see God. There's no proof of God anywhere. <laughs> like, no, there's, there's no proof of God. And he's like, that, that's what angers him. Why? He says this, verse 19. They know the truth about God because he's made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities his eternal power, his divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. Here's, here's what he's saying. There's this, that resistance to him. It says, if you would just look at nature, you would realize there's a designer. You're like, yeah, well, I don't believe that's the God of the Bible. That's fine. Don't start there. Would you acknowledge that there is a designer? You're like, well, I'm not sure. Well, can I say this? Heaven, um, sorry, creation screams of the, 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 the presence of a designer, a master designer. Think about a few of these with me. You know, I thought about how sap runs in the maple trees. I'm like, maple trees is like, it's just such a cool process. You know, but think, man, how beautiful they are and how every year at a certain time, their color changes. And those leaves, they know at that, at a certain point in time, it's time to fall to the ground to protect the tree. And the sap runs down to the roots to, to weather there through the winter. And then this season comes, my favorite season, right? All of a sudden, it's the temperatures. They have to be in those right modes. So we had the right temperature a few weeks ago and the saps are like this is way too early what happens to the trees if the sap's going to be in there they're going to freeze to death but they know how do they know and the sap just you're like i I don't know they're trees but think about this for a second we would have lost all the maple trees this year if the sap had remained up in the in the stems after it had started going there they would have all froze and would have been busted but they don't 
They know it's within this temperature range that that can happen. And then, you, you know, the sugar content, 40 to 1, it's always the same. And as you collect that, there's this leaf color, there's design, like, how, how did that happen? Is it just, ah, just like over millions and squillions of years, it's just sort of all, like, just happened? Or does it, like, no, there, there appears to be, like, design. If I admit it, there's, there's design. What? You're like, yeah, doesn't really do it for me. I, I like that you like your syrup and stuff, but pff, who cares? Well, have you considered the monarch butterfly? The monarch butterfly, this is an incredible, incredible thing. Uh, we don't see them right now in the summer. You know why we don't see them? Because they're all in Mexico where we want to be. That, that's where they are. They're on a beach right now making babies. And uh, they're, that, that's what's happening. So the, the group of butterflies... but. Maybe you don't know this. The group of butterflies that was here, the ones you saw flying out in the fall, they flew almost 3,000 miles down to Mexico. They go to this certain spot. You're like, man, that's incredible. Those little guys can fly that far. But that's not the most incredible part. They get there, and uh, they're like, we're not doing this trip twice. So they have some kids, and those kids are going to leave early spring, and they're going to migrate to the southern states. They're going to go to Florida because that's where they like to hang out. They're actually going to make babies there and die, and those babies are going to fly up to the northern states. You know, they're going to hang out in New York for a while, and they're actually going to die there, but before that, they they have some babies, and those babies are going to fly back up to here. Then those babies are going to have some more babies. They're going to die here. And then that next group is going to make that trip 3,000 miles again. How do they know to do that? That's a very, like, how does Generation 3 not go New York, Canada, or Florida? Let's just go back, fellas. How do they know? How do they know? And it's design. If we think about evolution, it's like, well, yeah, if these guys had decided to go this way, they'd die, and the whole thing's over. There's no more monarch butterflies. That's how fragile that, that design is, and yet it works year after year after year. You're like, okay, there's some design. What about the communication patterns of honeybees? Honeybees are f- phenomenal. One bee finds a flower, flies back to his, his um, hive, does this little dance, stays in the hive, and the rest of the bees go out there, and they go and get the, the sap and the, the pollen or whatever it is from the flower and come back. How do, how do they know? How, how do they know how to communicate like that? But they do. Why? It's design. And then think about the greatest design, you. Man, I know you can't, like, just look somebody in the eye right now. I know it's awkward, but it's real quick. If you know them. If you don't know them, don't do it to strangers. It's re- really weird. <laughs> But why do I say it? Because, <laughs> oh, shoot, I just lost you. Uh, <laughs> because you can't look at your own eye. You can't look at your own eye, but you realize if you could, there's 137 million light-sensitive cells in each one of your eyes. We don't have enough pixels on this whole screen to do 137 million. Insane that they all are in that place, that w- but based on where they are, gives us the ability to see. That is like, I remember years ago, we had a young guy in our church, a young boy who had a brain tumor, and when I went to the hospital to pray with the parents, I actually got to meet the brain surgeon. And as he uh, took us, he said, yeah, we did these scans of his brain this morning, you want to see? And I was like, yeah, I do. And so he showed us, and he would go through the pictures, the slides of this brain, and I'm like, he's like, yeah, I'm just in awe when I see it. And he says, he says, yeah, he says, you know what? You can't help. He says, when you see the human brain, you can't help but either become philosophical or religious. And I was like, yeah, I can see. He's like, there's no way this evolved. Don't tell nobody. Because <laughs> if we're honest, 
design is screaming out to us. The existence of God, he's revealing himself. What does Romans 1, it goes on to say this in verse 21. It says, yes, they knew God. They admitted, okay, there's the designer, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to think of foolish ideas of what God was like instead. And as a result, their minds become dark and confused. They claim to be wise, but they instead become utter fools. What is this? It's that resistance. That little bit of resistance leads to a lot, a lot of uh, effect in their life, heartache and whatever. I took a little bit of time on that, but the next three we'll just go through quickly. God reveals himself through nature, but God's revealing himself through his word. Hebrews 1, keep going to the right. You'll find Hebrews. Hebrews was, a, uh, just like it says, a letter written to the Jewish people. And it's um, glad that we have it in order to, to also benefit from the truth that's written there. Here's how the writer of Hebrews starts this. He says, Long ago God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now, oh, sorry, through the prophets. We'll just stop there for a minute. What's he referring to? He's referring to this, the Old Testament portion of this, of this book. He's like, back in the day, this is where God was, was speaking to the nation of Israel. He's writing to them in all different things, showing them who his character is. He's, he's speaking through these prophets. I am. I am the God who heals. I am the God who sees you. I am the God who's your banner. I am the God, your righteousness. I am the God, your victory. He reveals himself. But not, not only that, he also uh, speaks out these prophetic things of saying, this is going to happen. And then it does. You know, a couple weeks ago, I was sitting with my children at our, at our devotions, and we were going through Psalm 53. We sat around our dinner table, and I challenged my kids. I said, hey, read through Psalm 50, I mean, sorry, Isaiah 53. Read Isaiah 53 and write down everything that you think is speaking of the crucifixion of Jesus. And so they begin to write and begin to write. And so I did it as well. I don't know if you can see that. Maybe you can see that on, this, on the camera. But all of those highlights in Isaiah 53 all directly relate to something that happened to Jesus on the cross, things like this. He was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was whipped so we could be healed. We thought he was punished for his own sin, but it was the, the, the sins of us that the Lord laid on him. He was oppressed. He was treated harshly. He never said a word. He was like a lamb led to the slaughter. He was unjustly condemned. He had done no wrong, and yet he was buried like a criminal in a rich man's grave. And we read over this whole thing. And as we sat there, my kids, one of my kids said, yeah, it sounds like this person was right there. And it does. Like they were at the crucifixion. They were just writing down the story. But it was written 700 years earlier. How, how does that happen? Why? Because God's revealing himself saying, I'm outside of time. So I was there with Isaiah and knew what was coming. And I'm dropping this so that when it happens, you'll see. And yet the Jewish people missed him. But he's revealing himself. And you know, I had to say too that the more that I read and ponder and study his word, the more that he reveals himself. You know, as I studied even for this, I was like, man, I got to cut like half the scriptures I want to use because this one ties to this one and that points to this one and this points here. But realizing that he's revealing himself. And then third, you know, those are just factual things. They're kind of head knowledge things. But God's like, you know, I'm going to reveal myself even more personally. And he reveals himself through Jesus. And Hebrews 
1, it carries on in verse 2. It says, you know, in those days he was speaking through the prophets, but now in these final days he speaks to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. Through the son, he created the universe. The son radiates God's own glory. He expresses the very character of God. This is who Jesus is. He sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. And when he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. He's the, Colossians, Paul says, he's the visible image of the invisible God. You want to know what invisible God looks like? The designer of everything. You're like, okay, I admit there's a designer. I, you know, okay, I'll go with, um, he's revealed these things through his word. He knows what he's talking about. But what does he look like? And he says, I'll show you. Here, I'll put God in a bod. His name's Jesus. This is what he looks like. This is how he speaks to people. This is how he treats people. And we saw last week that he cared deeply about individuals. He wasn't, I don't care just all about crowds. I want you. And I want you, and I want you, and I want you. And he draws individuals to himself. You know, no wonder he was so frustrated when the Pharisees are like this resistance. We want a sign. We want proof that, you know, show us a sign that's pointing to God. He's like, I'm it. <laughs> like, I can't do any more than me. Like, I'm, I am God. You search the scriptures. They are pointing to me. How do you not see that? And that's the same thing. And I encourage you to read through and read through the life of Jesus if you're wondering what God is like. And then finally, he reveals himself through the presence of Holy Spirit. Through the presence of Holy Spirit, we took this picture. I don't know how we got it, but, you know, uh, we actually don't know what Holy Spirit looks like. You know, it's, it's, uh, uh, it, he's, he's described as landing on Jesus in the form of a dove. People could see that Holy Spirit was on him. But what's the thought for us today? Because I believe that even as Jesus followers, as Christians, it is more than just knowing the facts and the stories and believing something. It is the experience of the very presence of God that we need. It's actually, that's the longing in our hearts. That's actually what he's drawing us to, is that we would experience his very presence. Have you heard this, the, state, the phrase, the, the proof is in the pudding? Yeah, anybody? You've heard that? The proof is in the pudding. Do you know what it means? Not really. So the idea behind the proof is in the pudding was this, that people were like, well, is that pudding good? Does it taste good or whatever? Is it? And they're just like, no, the proof is in the pudding. Just once you try it. Once you experience it, once you taste it for yourself, the proof is all you'll need. And tonight, today's message, I just titled this, The Proof is in the Presence. And that wasn't my intro. I'm just saying, the proof is in the presence. Like People are like, I want proof of God. I want proof of this. I want to show, show this. The proof actually happens in the very presence of God. And that is why it's so important that we find our way there. 1 Corinthians 2.19, Paul just says that, you know, no eye, no, uh, it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can imagine what God has prepared for those who love him. We don't get there just in headspace. Verse uh, 10, he says, but it was to us that God revealed these things by his spirit. I mean, he wants you to know what he, what he thinks, what he desires for you to see, to understand and many Christians miss out on that part. I know I did at times where it was a, a realization. I had lots of understanding, but missing out on just his very presence. And there's a longing in the heart of every person for the presence of God. And I think some have just decided that, you know, well, I can't get there. And so it's like I have this, you know, I believe there's a God, but I feel distant from him. Anybody here like that? And most people don't like, I want to raise my hand for that. But if we're honest, don't we all go through times like that? We're met like, man, I, I, I feel like he's distant. Because he doesn't just want us just to know about him cognitively. He wants us to know him experientially, to know his very presence. And we've let that feeling of distant become the norm. 
we're just happy to show up on a Sunday or, you know, do my devotion and just like, I just got through it or have some mental understanding without connecting with the very presence of Jesus. Don't let that become the norm. And I think the only way we get there is just to understand this and define this. And so just a couple thoughts here for you. We need to define the term presence. There's two kinds of presence. There's the omnipresence of God where God's everywhere. Psalm 139, David said, where can I go where you're not? I go to the highest hill, you're there. I go to the lowest valley, you're there. I, I can't go anywhere where you're not. And that's the truth. God is present everywhere. He's right here, right now. Uh, the, there's nowhere he can't be. We sing that song, Waymaker. You know, you are here moving in our midst. But even when I don't see it, I know you're working. Even when I don't feel it, I know you're working. Why? Because there's an omnipresence of God. But his desire isn't that we would just uh, you know, know his omnipresence. It is that we would know his manifest presence. This is the part that changes lives. It's not the idea that I know that God is present. It's like, I know that God is here. How does this happen? Sometimes it happens when we're not even ready for it. It might be happening right now. You know, you got that guy Moses in the Bible. What's that, what happens to Moses? He's just out like doing his farmer thing. And all of a sudden this bush catches on fire and he's like, whoa, what is that? I've never seen this before. And as he gets close to it, it speaks to him. He's like, whoa, what is this? He's like, take off your shoes. I got something to tell you. And Moses is like, okay, I'll do whatever. I'll do whatever. Who, what is going on here? And he's like, God reveals himself to him. There's this manifest presence and it changes the life and direction of Moses' life forever. You know, it, it can happen. Last weekend it happened here in this building. There's a young guy who was here, and he said to me, you know, I didn't want to go to church today. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to be here. I definitely didn't want to sit in the front row. But then as, if you were here last week, you saw me, like, bawling my eyes out. You know, if you like that, watch it online again. But it was really awkward and weird and whatever. But what was happening in that moment? God was speaking. And this young guy realized that, no, I need Jesus. I didn't even, I didn't even know that's what I was coming for. I thought I was going to church, but he met Jesus. Gave his life to him, and I can't wait for him to share his story with you someday because it's the powerful thing of the manifest presence of the Lord. You know, we can see times where it happens simply because we open ourselves up to it. The, you know, the disciples in Acts, they're sitting in the, in the upper room. Jesus has left, and they're just waiting. They're just like, God, we're just waiting on you. And all of a sudden, Holy Spirit comes in a manifest presence. What do we, what's it described? Like, there's like a wind blows through the building. Like, whoa, something's happening, fellas. And then fire starts landing on all their heads. And like, something is definitely happening. And then Peter's like, what language are you speaking? And he's like, they, they got all these, these, these languages they never learned. And they're like, none of us understand each other. Let's go out there and try it out there. And all of a sudden, it's like everybody understands what they're saying. Like, you guys are talking about the goodness of God. How do we get in? What happened? Manifest presence. Manifest, they, they encountered God in a real way. Well, these guys go out. Not everybody loved that. So some of them are mad, put them in jail. Then they finally get out of jail. And they're like, man, we're, 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 they told us not to do this anymore. But God, we feel like we need to do this. But we're scared. So Lord, we just pray, would you help us? And all of a sudden, God's like, okay. Shakes the building. And he fills them again with boldness. And they just go out and they just preach the word with boldness. Why? Because manifest presence changed their life. You know, Jesus described it to Nicodemus like this. He's like, you, can, you can't see the spirit, but you can see its effect. It's like the wind. You see the wind. It blows the trees and the garbage cans down the road. You can't see the wind, but you see what happens. He's like, Holy Spirit is like the wind. He blows on and changes hearts. And the temptation for many of us is this. I want what I can see. Like, I want the effect. I want the fire. I want the feeling. I want, I want like, the, the giftings. I, I want all of that. And he's like, yeah, but the thing is, that's kind of how the Pharisees were, too. It was like, I want what I want to happen. I, I want this to happen in my way. 
And he's like, no, it, that's not how this works. He says, I'm just drawing you to just come seek me. Where our heart attitude is like, God, I just want you. And whatever you do is good with me. If your manifest presence causes me to go witness to my neighbor, I'm good. If it causes me to give up an addiction, I'm good. If it causes me to just worship you right in the middle of my job, sorry, everybody, but he deserves it right about now. I know you're like, that will never happen. Oh, believe me. I remember being working in a tomato greenhouse, listening to my podcast, and I was like, all of a sudden, I think maybe it was worship, and I, I just was like, oh, man, the presence of Jesus is here in this greenhouse. I hit my knees right there in the middle of the row, and I was like looking down. I was like, oh, God, you're incredible. I worship you in this moment. Thank you, thank you, thank you for revealing yourself to me. I'm grateful for it. Look up. Nobody saw it. Good. Get to go. And I bawl my eyes out as I pick the rest of the tomatoes. And you're like, you are super weird. But I'm like, man, how can God love like a, just a guy like me? Why does he care? But he does. And he meets us in those moments, and it's like they're, they're life-changing. It's in those places where he called me to do this. Some are like, I was never going to do this. I was never going to talk to people. I was never going to do this. But my hope is that he speaks through me to you because that's what he called me to do. That's what happened in the manifest presence in my life. Let me leave you with this. When uh, Peter was preaching to the people in um, Acts 3, he says, repent of your sins, turn to God so that your sins might be wiped away. That's the salvation message. But then times of refreshment will come from the what? The presence of the Lord. It doesn't just come from saying, oh, yeah, like, okay, I repented of my sins. The time of refreshment comes from his very presence. We're so tempted to look for refreshment. We're like, I got to go on vacation to find it. You know, I got to try a substance or I'll try religion or whatever it is for this refreshment. But he's like, I'm the source of it. You're not going to find it there. Maybe this fleeting temporary thing. But he says, if you'll come to me, you'll find it. It's the scripture we read as we began worship today in Hebrews 10. Verse 19, so dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place, the very presence of God because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. Since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let's go right in to the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let's come boldly, freely, fearlessly into the very presence of God. Some of you are like, oh, that's scary. Well, it was for them too. When the Hebrew people read this, they're like, wait, what? You don't boldly go into the presence of God? Don't you under, what are you writing here? Don't you realize that in the temple, there was this, this massive veil that separated the presence of God from everybody? Like, nobody got to go in there except for one guy once a year, and if he was unlucky, he died. Like, that's how, this, that's how scary this is. Nobody gets to go in. And Jesus came and said, yeah, I came that I could invite you in. When, I, when he died on the cross, it says that veil was torn right in half, that the very presence of God was now open to every person because of him. That's an incredible thought. That's an incredible thought. That means that the inner longing for him can be filled he, he, gave, he alluded to it in Matthew 5 when he said, you know, blessed are those who are pure in heart, for they shall see God. Man, I, that, I don't know about you, but that's what we need, to see God. 
to see him in his very presence, his very throne room, that it's not just something up here, but man, I'm, I know him. I see him. I've been with him. That's the longing in the heart of every Jesus follower. And you're like, yeah, that's for the pure in heart. About that. I don't think I'm all that pure in heart. What does Hebrews 10.22 say? Let's go right in to the presence of God with sincere hearts. Why? Fully trusting him. It isn't trusting your you know, behavior. It's not trusting whether you've repented enough. It's not, it's not trusting any of that. It's trusting that what Jesus did was enough. That he's like, man, I will pave the way and I will welcome you in. This was written to Jesus' followers, those who'd been transformed by the gospel. They'd been transformed saying, yes, I give my life to you, Jesus. Why was it so scary before? Because it was like paper in a fire. You know, you bring paper too close to a fire, what happens? Yeah, it's not a trick question. It catches on fire. And, and the same thing is like, like back in the day, why they had to have the temple and had to have God secluded his presence. He wasn't like, it's not like I, I hate you people or whatever. It's like, man, in this condition, if you get too close to me, you're going to burn up. It's not because I'm angry at you. It's not because of any of those things. It's, that's just what happens when sin gets too close to me. He says, I need to change you. I need to make you into something different so you can approach my presence. And that's what happens to the cross. When we surrender to him, he changes us. Amen. Changes us completely. It's, it says he died once for all our sins. We don't have to be like, I, I don't know, I'm picturing this. It's like so many Christians are like the stray cat that peeks around the corner. Like, is it safe? Is it safe? And he's like, you know what, do I, am I okay today? <laughs> he's like, man, all those sins have been washed away. Just, would you just come? Would you just trust me that I've washed it all away and come into my presence? Because in, the, in his presence is where everything changes. It's where everything happens. It's not about just forgiveness. It's about that real experienced relationship with God. A.W. Tozer writes it this way. Two last thoughts. Well, I see I'm even closing my Bible. A.W. Tozer, old, old dead guy, but great thought. He, he writes, some of those old dead guys have stuff that we really need today. A.W. Tozer is one of them. In his book, The Pursuit of God, said this, The veil's been removed by the rending of Jesus' flesh, and there's nothing on God's side anymore to prevent us from entering. So why do we tarry without? Why do we consent to abide all our days just outside the Holy of Holies and never enter to look upon God? What is he saying? He's calling out to you, Christian, Jesus follower, don't, don't stay on the perimeter. His presence is calling you. There was this little-known band named Petra, Anybody heard of them? I know, the old fogies. Yeah, Petra. <laughs> Dave Browning uh, wrote this song with them. It says this, Take me past the outer courts into the holy place. Past the brazen altar, Lord, I want to see your face. Take me past the crowds of people and the priests who sing your praise because I hunger and thirst for your righteousness, but it's only found one place. Take me in to the holy of holies. Take me in by the blood of the Lamb. Take me into the Holy of Holies. Take the coal, cleanse my lips. Here I am. Man, there was some presence on that song. And that's the response. That's the response he's looking for. Lord, just take me in. Bring me into your presence. I'm here. I want more than just an idea. I want more than just a belief. I want you. You know my hope today? is that a little bit can become a lot in the same way that a little bit of this resistance became a lot of negative effect in the Pharisees. My hope is that just by talking a little bit about this presence of Jesus, it's like fanning an ember, a flame inside of you that says, yeah, that's me, I want that. 
and that it becomes life-changing, that you begin to see him through nature, that you begin to say, man, I got to get into his word to know him, that, that as you um, just read through the life of Jesus, you're like, yeah, I know what he's like. I know who he's like. And that just opens me wide to his very presence. If you're thirsty, here. If you're hungry, here. If you're longing, here. There's good news for you. But the, 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 the good news is it can be filled. The bad news is I can't do it for you. I can't just say a prayer and it's going to be like, oh, good, we're there. We're there. It requires something of us. It requires this humbly sacrificing of ourself to say, you know what? I'm not going to trust my self-confidence, my self-will, my self-desire, my self-love, none of it. Lord, would you crucify that so that I don't depend on any of that anymore but just you? Prepare me, Lord, to be that sanctuary. Prepare me to be able to be in your presence. I'm not going to tinker with my life and try and fix little things. I'm just yours. I don't even know what you want to do in my life, but I'm just saying yes. God, I want your presence. I'm seeking you, and I'm seeking you like I want to find you. Man, I hope that inspires you today to take those next steps and just go after him. If you have questions, I'd love to pray with you, but let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. It's true. It's living. It's powerful. It it just does something in us. It's not something we make up or just get falsely excited about it. You've really changed our lives. I'm grateful for that. Lord, I pray for those in this room today who they don't know you. I pray that through this talk today, through your spirit, that you would reveal yourself to them they begin to see that the, the veil over their eyes would, would come down and they would see who you really are and your love for them and your drawing on them and that, that emptiness inside is you drawing them to yourself. Father, I pray for us as Jesus followers, sometimes we find ourselves in those places of feeling a little empty, a little dry inside. Help us to realize quickly that it's you that we need, that we would open our hearts wide to your manifest presence. Lord, I pray this building, this place, as we gather here, as your followers, would become a place where your manifest presence exists. And Lord, that lives would just be changed, continually changed, as we continue to grow to know you until we get to spend eternity forever in your very presence. Ah, Jesus, thank you. Thanks for taking us from where we were. Thanks for bringing us to this place. Thanks for continuing to work in our lives so you get us where you need us to be. We say yes to you today, Jesus. In your name I pray. Amen.